0: Hey everybody! Welcome back to the Seven Figure Flipping Podcast. This is Bill Allen, and on today's episode, I am going to take you behind the scenes of Tyler Jensen's conversation with me for his seven-day flip. So, as you guys know, on YouTube, on our Seven Figure Flipping YouTube channel, we've created this eleven-episode TV show called The Seven Day Flip, where Tyler Jensen and his team are flipping four houses in seven days. Yep, four houses in seven days, and full renovation, fifty, sixty thousand dollars renovations, and Him and I, last Thursday, we sat down and we did a live call where we did Q&A with some of the people who sent in questions from the first episode. So what I want to do is play that for you on the podcast today. We talk about a traumatic brain injury that I had, We talk about how he got into flipping, about how they had a fire in their house that they didn't have insurance on. Uh, They lost $37,000 on their first deal and what it's like to flip houses in seven days and how they do it and how they structure it on a timeline. So stay tuned. This is going to be an awesome episode. I'm going to roll the theme music and we'll jump right into it. I'm Bill Allen. I'm here with Tyler Jensen um, from 7 Figure Flipping and our our show that we just launched with Tyler and his team, Flipping Four Houses in Seven Days. So we launched this episode one of uh, the 7 Day Flip. We've got 10 more episodes coming. We launched it on YouTube. We were planning on streaming this live on YouTube, but YouTube was having some issues. So right now we're streaming live inside of our Facebook group, the um, 7 Figure House Flipping and Wholesaling Free Group that we have on Facebook so if you guys are watching this on YouTube later, you can join us there. It's free to join, just come jump in. And for anybody that's on there right now, I'll be monitoring the comments for any questions that you might have for Tyler and his team. And I've we've basically today, what we're gonna do is we're gonna spend about an hour and we're just gonna go through the episode and ask any questions and dig deeper for Tyler, his family, uh, the story, all that stuff. So on the first episode, we kind of told Tyler's background and uh, a little bit about his story. He told my story very quickly, but this is all about Tyler and his team. And uh, his wife, Latisha. They were talking about their background. So a bunch of questions rolled in. So I want to cover those today. And what we'll do is we'll drop this on the YouTube channel, and we'll do this every week. We'll go live like this. Um, we'll either go, ideally, we'll go live on YouTube was the plan. And if you're on our email list then we have some people here inside of uh, the chat with us that are watching us live in like a webinar. So if you wanna get on our email list, you can go to sevenfigureflipping.com and you can jump on our email list. There's a little subscribe up in the top right corner and you can subscribe. That way you can get notified of this link where you can actually interact with us. So I see we've got a few people here that are asking questions real time with us. So, okay, you ready to jump in Tyler? Yeah, let's shoot, let's go. All right, so if you haven't watched the first episode, Go back and watch the first episode, come hang out with us, but it's on YouTube, on our 7 Figure Flipping YouTube channel, and we're going to do 11 episodes, so it's a, like a TV show, a TV series It's going to launch every Monday night at 8 o'clock central, and we will all watch live, so a lot of us, we had about 60, 70 people that were watching live with us on Monday night, chatting, having fun, getting popcorn, and just watching it like a TV show, so every Monday night at 8 p.m. central, it'll launch live on our YouTube channel, and then it'll be available after that if you want to watch it, so...
1: I basically it was really good had, too, by I the asked, way. Like we've had what? so many people. It was really good. A lot of people have just been like, man, I can't wait for the second episode. I wish it was on Netflix so I could just binge watch it. Uh it was really, really successful. And so if you haven't seen it, you need to check it out because it's really cool. We have an awesome videography
0: team. We have an awesome staff. It's absolutely amazing to see what, what totally. they've been able to do. So Andre. Good job, William. You guys are killing it. Great job. So, um, just a quick backstory. We flew out a camera crew out to Salt Lake city to follow Tyler around for their week of flipping these four houses in seven days. And now we're putting them together in, in episodes basically. So I'm excited about episode two. I just got the final cut of it and I'm going to be watching it tonight and giving some edits uh, if we need them. And then it'll be ready for Monday night. So that's how, uh, That's how this is going. We're like building it as we go, right? So it's what's uh, Thursday afternoon and I got the second episode like rough final draft, right? So it'll be ready by like six o'clock on Monday and hopefully uploads to YouTube in time. So, um, okay. So there's a couple questions that rolled in. I want to jump into it. Your wife said, so you had this full-time job and she said, uh, Tyler got a TBI and then she just kept kind of talking about your uh, memory loss and things like that. Didn't really define what that was. A lot of people were confused about what that was. And the funniest thing is she said, you had a TBI, we had a house that burned down, we lost some money and you go, oh yeah, I forgot about that. So <laughs> I thought that was absolutely hilarious. Perfect. It was like uh, perfect timing of you having memory loss. So what is a TBI? How did it happen? And yeah. those are some of the questions that rolled in.
1: Yeah. So perfect. A TBI is a traumatic brain injury. And so I was working at a warehouse. I was the director of operations for a manufacturing company. And we were setting up some pallet racking. So if you've ever been to Costco or Sam's Club or anything like that, there's like that 18-foot tall pallet racking. And we were setting it up. And I was working with a guy. And he leaned it against the wall. And we were trying to set up this whole row of this racking. And I'm like, are you sure that's going to stay there? And he's like, yeah, don't worry about it. It's fine. So I turned and walked away. And that 18-foot pallet racking came crashing down and cracked me right on the head. So it knocked me out. I woke up. I I didn't know where I was, what had happened. I had blood on my hands, all that stuff. Uh, Long story short, I ended up in the hospital. I had 12 staples in my head. I had cracked my skull open, uh, and I had lost all short-term memory. So I couldn't remember anything. I couldn't remember what I had for breakfast that day. I had long-term memory, which was weird. I could still remember stuff that happened years ago, but I couldn't remember what happened two, two hours ago. So anyways, we, I had that traumatic brain injury and yeah, it was just a long road of recovery. I had to go on workers, uh, workers comp, yeah. And I had to do all that stuff. I was off for like four months of work. I couldn't do anything, but I was still in school. So I had to elect out of all of my classes except one. And it was biochemistry and my professor told me that, uh, that I couldn't opt out of his class. He was just gonna flunk me and I'd have to take it later. So I remember, and it's crazy that I remember this, but my wife and I stayed up for two days, and we studied for the final on this microbiology test, and we I ended up passing it, and then I didn't even remember that I took the test. So but if, I, if I fell asleep, I would forget everything. So we stayed up for two days. We studied for this microbiology test. I passed it. I came home and crashed, and I woke up, and I couldn't even remember that I had taken the test. So I've come a long ways. There's still things that I forget. When my wife tells me that she needs milk and eggs, I just come home with uh, Reese's peanut butter cups or something and still can't remember that. But other than that, I've come a long ways. I'm a lot different than I was back then. So So how did
0: you recover from that? Like what happened to get your memory back? Did it just happen? It was like a
1: light switch? No. So I I had to go to like a neurologist. I'd go to a speech therapist. I had to I played lots of Sudoku and just stuff like that that would activate my brain. And so, yeah, I had to go to a spine doctor because the palate racking had came down right on top of my head. And so, yeah, there was a lot of physical therapy and a lot of mental therapy and uh, uh, just a lot of that stuff. So it was a long recovery. It took me about six months until I was kind of back to normal again. And then just over time, it got better. And now I can remember what I had for breakfast. So that's, that's a huge win, I guess.
0: All right. So the traumatic brain injury, man, that's crazy. I I remember I I ran into a wall. I was like wrestling at a fraternity house in college and I cracked my head open. I had a bunch of staples too, Um, but no concussion, no, none of that stuff. I can't even imagine that. Uh, That was painful though. So man. Uh, Okay. Then, so that was like the first thing that you guys brought up. And then you talked about a fire, like having a fire in your house. And I feel like you, I couldn't tell you, like casually mentioned Either you had insurance or you didn't have insurance. I think you said you didn't have insurance on the house, but the fire department helped you out or something. And then you just like moved on. So a lot of people wrote in and said, what was he talking about? They, they didn't have insurance. And how does the fire department help you out? So what, t- tell us about that.
1: Yeah, crazy story. So this is back in 2008, 2009, roughly, that we were starting, my dad and I were just figuring it out. We were trying to flip houses. We had this house that we were trying to flip And we had a lady come in to do some cleaning for us. She was just picking up and getting rid of construction debris. And she had actually thrown some of the wood in the fireplace. And we told her, we're like, hey, don't use the fireplace. We don't know if it works, whatever. So it was cold, there was no heat in there. It's the middle of the winter in Utah. She lit a fire in the fireplace. And sure enough, the flue was closed and the house started on fire and it burnt down to the ground. And we did not have insurance on that property. Um, and that's a whole nother story. We could do that. We could talk more about that. Why you shouldn't do that. But the fire department came in and they said, Hey, look, this house was condemned anyways. There was faulty electrical. It was just a matter of time till this house burnt down anyways. So they, they deemed us not at fault. And luckily we, it it all worked out. Okay. And we eventually, we had, it all got paid for it all worked out in the end. So we had, we were able to get insurance on it and it was just this crazy long mess, but we got out of the house fine and we didn't lose any money. We just, I thought I was going to go to jail. I remember getting the phone call from the fire department saying, Hey, is this your house? It's on fire. And I I was like, Oh, I'm going to go to jail. We burned down this house. My wife was freaking out. So the fire department came through and they helped us out and they just said, Hey, look, this house was condemned anyways. And there was just, junky wiring and stuff like that and so they came and said that um it was just a matter of time before it burnt down anyways so
0: awesome man that's crazy yeah, so like, where was this in the timeline like with the tbi and the fire and in your journey yeah, so like, when was it yeah
1: so i got married in september of 2009 and then the tbi happened february so we only we had only been married for a few months when the tbi happened So luckily, my wife loved me, and she was already committed by then. I think if we were dating, she would have said, see you later. Uh, But yeah, we were already married. It happened. And then it was probably a year after that, a year or so, that the fire burned down. So just as I was trying to get into real estate and build this business, and yeah, that happened.
0: It's crazy. Okay, uh, real quick, if you're just joining us, I see a bunch of people have jumped on this... We're basically doing like a webinar inside of our, um, we send it out to our email list and people are jumping on this live and can ask questions. So if you're jumping on now live, you can drop some questions in the Q and A. I'll make sure that we get to them if we have time. And then, if you're watching on Facebook right now, we're streaming live on Facebook. We meant to be streaming on YouTube, our seven-figure flipping YouTube channel, but it wasn't allowing us. The connection with Zoom just wasn't working. So we're live in our seven-figure house flipping and wholesaling group, which is a free Facebook group. So if you're in there right now and you're watching this, you can ask questions. I'll monitor those in the comments too. Um, but we have a ton of questions that have come in for Tyler for this seven-day flip series that we're doing on uh, on YouTube. So, uh, okay, so PBI live, fire.
1: Put your questions in the Q&A so we can see them. I'd love to answer live questions as well. So we've had other yeah. questions come in, but if you're on, then please let's, let's get your questions answered so you get some value out of it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So um, the other one that came in it said, okay, you got this TBI, you got this fire, then you lost $37,000 on your first deal. Um, so like, how did, how did that make you feel? Like you lost $37,000 and you just kept going? Like-
1: Yeah, it was kind of, uh, I had to, right? I I didn't have $37,000 to lose. So we had leveraged everything, 100% on this house. We had an investor that funded the whole thing for us. And then we came up 30 grand, 37 grand short, all the wrong things that you shouldn't do in flipping a house. So we bought it too high. We, we pushed the ARV. We thought we would sell it for higher. We over rehabbed it. All of the, the mistakes that you shouldn't make, we made all of them. And so it came to that point that we were like, man, we just lost 37 grand. And so I worked a deal out with the investor. I said, hey, look, this is how this deal's gonna work out. We're gonna be short 37K. We're gonna lose money on this. I'm gonna pay you monthly interest payments Until I can pay it back. So we paid him everything back minus that 37K. We signed a new promissory note and then I just kept paying monthly interest. And I was in college, I was broke, so making that interest was painful. So it was more out of pain that I kept going because I knew that I couldn't quit and that it was so important to me to make that investor whole. And then our second flip happened and we made all of that back. We paid off our investor and I was like, yes, we're done, that's behind us. And then I was like, you know what? We've had two successes. The first one was a failure, but became a huge success because I, it was the greatest education I could have ever had. The second one, we're like, man, that was a win. We made We could have made a lot of money on this if we would have done it this way the first time. So then it that just created momentum for me. And then I was like, yeah, we could do this. And then we just started getting better at it and doing it and and here we are doing four rehabs in seven days. So, but it's all of that process, right? Of, of learning from your failures and not being afraid to fail, and then just keep moving forward.
0: Yeah, I think the like a lot of people would quit then, right? $37,000 loss, and they're just like, all right, that's it. It doesn't work. Uh, it might work for this person. It doesn't work for me, those kind of things. So it's obvious that you are dedicated and you're pushing forward. And that's what I see in a lot of successful investors. They, they hit bumps, they hit problems issues things like that they just learn from it and move forward they have that kind of attitude that you just said like yeah. this it, like looking probably at the time $37,000 loss didn't feel like a win I mean now you're looking back right yeah. so if, if we could rewind there and so if some people that are watching are probably like what's this guy talking about he's so full of it you know but you know we grow and we develop over time and what happens is you look back and say hey like I, we had a house that we lost $70,000 on I learned a ton of lessons on that house that I won't mm-hmm. make I won't make those mistakes again uh, granted, I didn't like doing that. I didn't like that happening to me. And in the time, it did not feel good, believe me. But now looking oh, back, I, I, I wouldn't say that I'm happy that it happened. But if it didn't happen there, it was going to happen somewhere else. And uh, it was just a lesson that I learned. And you have to be positive and move forward with it. So
1: yeah, and that um, was that was that was a year of income for me. 37k was more than I made in a year when I was in college, and I was young, and I was starting my career. But I didn't have that kind of money. So for me, I was like, there's two ways that we can do this. I can quit and give up and then sorry, this this investor just lost 37 grand. Or I can make I can learn from that mistake, keep going forward and then and make it right. And that's what we did. We just kept pressing forward and we figured it out. It was painful. Yeah, it sucked. Would I want to do that again? No way. But it was just a great experience looking back. I'm I'm glad that it happened. I I don't wish it on anyone because it, it was definitely a challenging time, but but we learn from it. And that's what success is, is learning from those failures and not being afraid to fail.
0: Yep. So the next one that came in was about a business partner. You said something about like you had a business partner and you like got in a lawsuit with them and then all you got was the name. And so some people said they were confused about that. So go deeper into
1: that. Yeah. What is that about? Yeah. So when I first started, I was still working corporate America and I was trying to make the transition into real estate. So I, I found this guy who was selling his business. It was, it's called Utah House Flip. It's the name of my business now. And he was selling it. He had the secret sauce, how you can do all these deals. And he just, his way was so good. And so he pitched me on all this blue sky. And then it ended up that it was not even a great business. He had no assets. There wasn't anything like that. So he we partnered up. He was my GC. He managed the projects. And then I would manage like capital and marketing and stuff like that. And then, yeah, it just kind of turned into, I started realizing that his secret sauce wasn't so secret. And it just, you know, like all these promises that he had made to me that we're going to make all this money and I'll help you with your first deal and blah, blah, blah. We'll do these flips in three months. And here we are nine months later and we still hadn't finished a flip. And so anyways, there was just a lot of stuff like that. So long story short, we got an we could have taken it to a lawsuit and there was just all these things. And I just decided that I didn't want to do that. So we, we turned down the lawsuit. We just said, Hey, look, we're done with you. Just give us that. We want the business name and the website and we'll call it even. And that's what we did. So we kind of broke ways. And then three months later, four, four months later, anyways, we had done some deals. We'd probably done a handful of deals, six, somewhere there, six to 10. That's right. When I joined seven figure flipping. And so I, that all happened right at the, about the same time. And then the seven-figure flipping had the real secret sauce. That was the huge difference is that it wasn't open promises and it wasn't all these empty things that it was real proven strategy that I could use and I could implement. And that's the difference in doing this with this partner for a year and a half, almost two years, and being with seven-figure flipping for just over two years. Huge difference. And that really is the the game changer for me. But... Well, I appreciate that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. But there was something about like, did you guys, you guys got in a lawsuit? Did you have to pay him some money or something or like, what was that like?
1: Yeah. So we paid him 10 grand. We had to pay him $10,000 just to have it go away. And so we thought about taking it to court, but it just would have, it's just time consuming, you know, like I I didn't, I would lose sleep at night and i talk with my wife and you know, you just, it just is such this heavy burden to go through a lawsuit and to try and do all of that, that we just said, Hey, look, we'll pay you the $10,000, give us the rights to the company and you're pretty much done. So we gave him 10 grand. He went on his way and we went on ours. And it's just, we haven't looked back since. So what, uh, there's
0: probably some people that are, would, will listen to this or are on the call right now and that are thinking about partnering up with somebody. Maybe they're just getting started like where you were. And they see it, somebody else, whether it's a general contractor or somebody with money or something like that, what would be some advice that you would give to them?
1: Yeah, I would say get a mentor, like find someone who's doing it and who's actually doing it. You can see the fruits of their labors, not just someone that's promising you all these things like get rich quick scams and kind of these gurus, like we have this local group here that's all about, you can make money super fast. And and for me coming into this group, it was all about how do you grow your business? How do you... Have a long-term game. It's not about getting getting rich quick. It's about growing your business and, and having that strategy. And that was the difference. I was promised getting rich quick with my first partner, right? We're going to do all these amazing things. We're going to make all this money. Blah, blah, blah. There was, but there was no structure to it. There was no foundation. And so what I would suggest to someone who's just getting into it is find a mentor, find some, get some coaching, find somebody like me or Bill or, or anyone who's in your market who's actually doing deals that can mentor you and who's willing to put their arm around you and say, Hey, come with me, let's do this together and I'll help you. And it's going to benefit both of us. And that, that just was the difference in partnering for me. So I I don't want to partner anymore just because I feel like I can do it. And I can, I have that confidence now that, that I can do it. And I have that, it's just that mindset shift that I'm going to take the leap of faith and I'm going to make it happen, but I get to rely on me. And nobody else to do their part, because that's the biggest frustration with having a partner is that I can only do so much and I can do everything in my power, but I I don't want to drag them along either. So if you do partner, we've had a lot of successful partners, just make sure they're a right fit for you and that you, your vision is very clear and that you're both going on the same path.
0: Yeah, it, I would say my recommendation on a partnership is maybe start doing some deals, just one off deals before you create a business, LLC, all the stuff. Like Tyler got, totally. Tyler did all of this first. Like they came together and then they started doing things. So try it out first because it's much easier to separate that way. I've seen two LLCs kind of 50 50 partner on deals. When I got started, I had a, a money partner that would come in and fund the deals for me, and we'd split the profits 50 50 on like a, a deal at a time basis. If I had partnered, like we'd been 100% business partners, um, it would have been a different look for me. So, yeah, um, and then you talked about finding a mentor. The, the biggest thing, my recommendation for people is uh, find somebody that you're like, that you, there's a couple things with mentorship. It, you can You can pay for it or you can work for it. And that's what I see a lot of times. And people don't wanna do either one, they just kind of wanna say, hey, I need some help. Will you help me? Will you be my mentor? And the problem with that is a lot of busy people, they see that as there's more, that's more to do's for us. Like if somebody, mm-hmm. come, come with a solution. Like what can you, how can you bring value? If, if you got somebody in your, in your area that's doing, you know, 15, 20 deals a month and you want to shadow them, like what can you do? Can you bring some deals to them? Can you help them run numbers? Can, like where are they weak that you're strong that you could try to add some value to them? And that's a good way to get going. Um, I don't think there's, a, like I really struggled with paying for mentorship myself. In the beginning, I'm glad I got over that. I joined this group um, you know five years ago, like I told in the in the show, and it was huge for me and that's that was it and so but find somebody that you that you connect with that has similar core values to you, that you want to follow and you want to emulate that's already got where already where you want to be or is on the way to where you want to go and they're ahead of you and so that's my recommendation totally every like each of these mentors and gurus and, and people like that, like uh, the uh, education business, there's there's people that that you'll fit in with that you'll like this kind of tribe, and then there's people that like there's people that just won't want to be part of our world either. So I totally get that and understand that. So um, just find somebody that you really mesh with. The same thing with a mentor, like you want somebody that you want to be around, you want to put the time in, and it's like those are your people, right? So that's I think that's what I love about our mastermind group is. Is bringing those people in that are that are like us that want to be around us that we want to spend time with that are good fits culturally so yeah, um, I, but as a partnership like just try, do a couple deals together, see what it's like. I always find in every partnership it seems like somebody feel always feels like they're doing like sixty percent of the work and the other person's doing forty so I, I it's very rare that I'll see a partnership like a true partnership that's even husband and wife couples but it's like yeah. that somebody feels like they're doing more right so um, I mean you kind of have a partnership with your wife right so
1: totally Um, if you saw the first episode you know that she's definitely my partner in this business that's right 100 she's the real boss as you would call it right
0: (laughs) that's right that's right all right so we talked about all of that stuff um then a contractor stole ten thousand dollars from you is this a different story than the ten thousand you're talking about right now? yeah
1: man i got i got plenty of those stories let's let's hit hit it up let's Let's go because you know what i think i think with this stuff what it does is like
0: we've all been kind of taken. I think it shows the fact that even though you're experienced, you can still make mistakes. So in this yeah. story, I'd love to hear kind of like how did you fall into that trap? What would you have done different next time?
1: Okay, perfect. So this is a this this particular story that we were talking about um, it really is sentimental to me. So We got into a position that we wanted to give a a house to my parents. So we wanted to do a a rehab for them. We wanted, they were kind of in the ghetto, uh, like 30 minutes away from us. We wanted to move them closer to us so they could watch kids. We could keep an eye on them, all that stuff. So my wife and I said, hey, look, we want to donate a rehab to my parents and what does that look like? So this contractor actually came in and he was working on the house across the street and my crew was all busy. And so I said, hey, you, you're you a licensed contractor? Yeah, I'm licensed. I'm all that stuff. And he came in and we gave him a deposit. We gave him all this money to paint the house. We gave him all this money to buy cabinets and vanities and stuff like that. And then the, the project started taking longer than it should have. We were promised like three weeks and then it was five weeks and then we were in at six weeks and we just had no progression. And so we started calling him and stuff would happen and stuff wouldn't. And then we just got into this lawsuit that, and again, we're back into this lawsuit mentality, right? That people just get Sue happy. And and I talked with an attorney about it. I'm like, hey, this we paid this guy $10,000. The house still isn't painted. I still haven't seen all of this. Um, stuff that we've ordered, these vanities. I haven't seen any of this other stuff. And anyways, there's so many little stories in this, but the tile that we had, he's like, I got all this extra tile. Don't worry about it. I'll give you a great deal on it. Come to find out it was from another one of his jobs that he had taken their tile and installed it into our house. So there was just a lot of red flags with this dude, just a terrible person. So I actually called the homeowner that we found out who it was and I called them and I said hey I need you to come up to this house and just see if this is your tile. So he walked in and he's like sure enough I have this half of this tile is laid in my bathroom and the other half never showed up and so it was just a bad judge of character. We just come to find out he wasn't licensed and he was taking our money and and doing other deals and he was just cash flowing it so poorly that he just couldn't keep up and So we just found all that out. We thought about suing him. We were like, hey, we're out 10 grand. My attorney's like, hey, it's really not worth your time anyways, because he'll probably just file for bankruptcy and you won't get your 10 grand anyways. And it's going to take six months and all this stuff. So we just dropped it. And then crazy story, though. This is when the same house that this happened, Jeffrey Lowe was one of our subs. And he was doing some framing so all this is happening we're we're threatening with a lawsuit we're out ten thousand dollars from this contractor and this guy with long hair and a beard and genie pants is is framing in my parents house and we start talking i'm like hey are you a licensed gc like for real what do you think about working with this guy oh that guy's an idiot well i was like what if you came and worked for me so The silver lining in that story, yeah, again, it sucked and we lost $10,000. And I still, if I saw that contractor, I'd probably punch him in the face. But we got something out of it. I got a good project manager that, you know, that helped us create what we are, right? And what we did. So it kind of really all worked out in the end. So it was a pretty crazy story, but I have lots of those that we've lost a lot of money with contractors. But that was the one that we were talking about.
0: So what would you have done different next time? So like, how would you have avoided that? What, what's a tip that you have for somebody new who's working with a contract for the first time?
1: Yeah. I just really vet who your contractors are. So we just, I, it was like, literally we hired him that day. I didn't, I didn't get any recommendations from him. I didn't find out if he was truly licensed. I just kind of took it on an impulse and said here. And then the problem was, is that I'm so, I was so slow to get rid of the contractor because I was worried about finding someone else and it just dragged on and it just kept going and getting worse and worse and worse. And so my, is to hire slow and to fire quick is what I would say with your contractors is just be, if they can nail, give them one job at a time, if they can nail it, then give them the next job. And then if they fail it, then you get rid of them quickly. So did they nail it or fail it? That's our our theme 100% with contractors. We give them one job. Your your job is to paint the front porch. And if you paint the front porch really well, then we're going to give you the next job. And then it would be two or three jobs. And then it would be a house. And then it would be whatever. So, But really just take the time to vet your contractors. That was a, a huge lesson. And don't be afraid to fire them. There's other contractors out there. I promise. They're there. You just have to find them. So hire slow, fire quick.
0: Yeah. In your, in your example, I think there's a couple things that, that I would say to the listeners too. Number one is he didn't have a a GC license. And so you can actually search for their license. And so do your research. So once you don't take the contractor's word for it, ask around about them, call the references. How many times do you ask for references from a contractor? They give them to you and then you don't do anything with them. You're like, I'm not going to call him. He gave him to me. He's probably good. Or he says he's got a license or his license number is on his card, right? Or her card or anybody. So check the license. It's not too hard to do to go on the county and look up their license. See if they, you can Google their name and their license number and find out if they got any uh, complaints about them. Look at their reviews. Call their references. One example that I have for references is, is call their references and then ask that reference if they know anybody else that worked for them, that th- that, that person worked for. And then call that person. Because I don't necessarily want somebody that's on their sheet. I want someone who's not on their sheet. They're going to put their three best references that have glowing reviews about them that they know are going to say good things. So, And same thing for employees. So I really want to go a little bit like the next level deep. And I say all this because I've made the same mistakes. I've been ripped off. I just got ripped off on my personal house about, um, about nine months ago. And I wouldn't say like ripped off, ripped off, but probably like $1,000 and it was just obvious like my gut was telling me that things are off they're constantly when when a contractor asks for a bunch of money up front things like that they're probably paying off their last job to get to yours and then they're going to use the next job to hopefully pay, pay for yours so totally. i said no i'm not going to give you money up front i'm going to i'll pay for the materials just call me from the store and then when and then the materials going to get delivered directly to my house and i'll pay for all the materials up front and then i'll make payments along the way and he he just didn't show up at the end. He didn't finish the job. The job while he was there, it was good, but it's just the way it works. And then he like blocks me on Facebook and probably changes his business name and starts doing business with other people and under a different LLC. And it's just the, the way that this happens. So don't pay a bunch of money up front. do your research, check their licenses, um, and yeah, pay for work completed and pay for materials that you actually have. Not the fact yeah. that they're saying, oh, I'm going to go buy materials. I need $5,000 for materials. Well,
1: Where are they? How are we paying? I mean, you know, it's it's the game, right? We live and die by that right now. We don't do any deposits. We buy all the materials. We control all of that. So, and that again was just a learning experience that we're doing the same thing. We're checking references. We're checking if they're truly licensed. Like I would have saved a lot of money if I would have just called probably two or three of his references and be like, don't use this guy. He stole my tile, you know, like we would have, but Yeah, we're doing that now and we're just giving, if we bring on a new contractor, we're not giving them the whole scope of work all at once. We're giving them something small that you can control and you can see, did they do this really well? Okay, now give them something else. Don't give them the whole pizza at once. Give them one piece at a time. Yep, I
0: agree with that. Um, So we got got some more questions here, but we've also got some coming in live. So let's jump to the live questions. Um, Before we do, we're talking, if you're just jumping on now, we're talking about the seven day flip series that we're doing. It's a TV show on YouTube with Tyler and his crew. They're flipping four houses in seven days. So we're going to do this once a week. We, on Monday nights at eight o'clock, we're going to launch that on YouTube. You can jump on there, watch live, subscribe to our channel, hit the little bell button, the seven figure flipping YouTube channel, hit the bell button, and then it'll alert you when we're launching these episodes. But they will be every Monday night at 8 p.m. Central time. And then on Thursdays, it's most likely going to be Thursday around this time that either Tyler and I, or I'll, I'll interview maybe one of his contractors or somebody from the job, maybe his wife will come on and I'll ask her yeah. some questions, cool. but we'll just kind of talk about what the, like what the last episode was like. So if you haven't seen episode one of seven day flip, make sure you go back and watch it. And that's kind of what we're diving into. And people are, well, I want to encourage you to send in questions. So send in questions. You can comment on the YouTube page. Um, once it goes up on YouTube, it's there for, for good. Comment on there, ask questions, and then we'll cover them on like Wednesday or Thursday of the week where we're kind of midweek getting ready for the next episode. So Seven Figure Flipping YouTube channel, you, you can su- su- subscribe Ugh. or you can go to our website, sevenfigureflipping.com and click the button up at the top right, subscribe, and you'll, you'll get the emails from us that kind of, hey, this episode's going live, this thing's launching. You, we got a bunch of people that are jumping on this like, kind of live webinar with us right now asking questions. And guys, if you're on the webinar right now, you can ask questions too and we'll get some answers for you. So let's see, uh, Dawn said, uh, her big question was, um, what was the key to making this succeed? So hey, uh, before you answer that, we don't know if it's successful or not. Let's ask the question, I'll just frame the question. So, we're kind of following along one episode at a time to see if they can actually do it in seven days. There's a contest involved. Tyler's going to have to wear genie pants. If he loses his project manager is going to have to comb his hair and wear slacks and a polo shirt. If he loses really cool. If you haven't seen the episode, um, really fun stuff. So, okay. Uh, what was the key to making this succeed? So let's talk about your, you've done three seven day flips before this. So what yeah. was the key to making those succeed?
1: Yeah, so it was really just efficiencies, right? It was really about planning the flip and executing it. The planning was the hardest part. And so I I talk about that a lot in our mastermind group that you really need to spend time to focus on the planning. What needs to be done? Little things that we thought of. Um, And you'll see some of this that we reused in these episodes as well, but we really planned it really well. We know who was doing what, when when they were doing it, how they were going to do it. Um, We we bought a U-Haul truck for our first flip And we staged it by day. So day one, you would open the the truck and you knew this is day one. This has to be done. Day two, day three, all the way to day seven, that my guys, it was so automatic for them. It was color by number that they would open up the truck and go to work. And we just planned that really well. And we knew what our costs were going to be. We knew how much time it should take. And that really is, is, if you want to do a seven day flip, it's really about planning. The execution is the easy part. Just making sure your guys show up and getting it done. Um, so I hope that's your question, Don. If it's not, then if you want to more like about success in general, then let's talk about that. But to do a seven day flip, it really is 100% coming down to planning and just being really efficient and being able to execute your plan. Don,
0: I have drafted up the structure of episode three right now, and I think that Tyler is going to show you um, how what the key to execution is on episode three. So I realize I'm I'm like a couple episodes ahead of you guys, so I'm sitting here going, ah, man, we talked about that a little bit, but I've only seen them behind the scenes. So and the other cool thing is Tyler didn't even see episode one before we launched it. So. There was only two people, me and the videographer, that saw the full final episode. So it was kind of, I wanted it to be a surprise because we put together a lot of things about him and his family. And I didn't want him to kind of cut those things and show him, we tried to show the the relationship between him and his wife and then the relationship with the contractor. And and hopefully some of that stuff were things that he hadn't heard from Jeffrey or hadn't heard uh, before. So kind of putting that together and telling the story, it was more of like a gift from us to him. And that's what all these are. These all the 11 episodes for me are, Like, how can I highlight one of our members who's doing some amazing things? And it's it's fun for me because we're able to kind of put Tyler and his team on the pedestal that they deserve. So, and Dawn also said like, kudos for paying your investor back on that deal. She was a lender for a group last year. They lost a ton on a a series of flips and are not paying their private money lenders back. So she lost $63,000 and totally respects the integrity that you show. And I told a story at Flip Hacking Live for us. We lost $70,000 on a deal, but our lenders had no idea because 50,000 of it went to the private lenders. And we, we took that $70,000 loss that I talked about earlier on in the episode. Most of that was the hard, hard cost from the lender. And they had no idea, but I want that relationship because I want to keep doing deals with them. So it's more important that I pay them back because I've made a lot more money back over time using their money. So think about that. The integrity side of things is so important in what you do. And obviously you could be on either side of this. You can be the contractor that's ripping people off, that's going around thinking that they're doing really well by ripping people off. Or you can be uh, having a TV show made after you talking about the co- the contractor that's screwing you over, right? So which side of the coin would you rather be on? I think it's pretty obvious for at least everybody in this community, everybody that's in our mastermind groups and stuff like that. So, um, totally. okay. Uh, okay. Let's jump back in. I had a question about, um, we talked about like Tom Lawney, the stress-free planning life insurance thing that I was using. Yeah. So I just yeah. kind of mentioned it in the middle of the episode. And then I know that you use this also. So we got a couple questions about it. People are like, what is that? like? What, how do you use life insurance to fund deals? So maybe you can talk a little bit about how you use this infinite banking concept and then I'll do the same thing about how I'm using it.
1: Yeah, uh, Tom, first off, Tom Lonnie is top notch. He's like the smartest guy that I've ever met. Super intelligent dude. But anyways, he taught me, I, I remember going to a mastermind and he presented on infinite wealth and what it means. And he talked about like people, guys like Walt Disney and Penny and all these other guys that are doing this infinite banking. And so what it really is, it's just a life insurance policy that has cash value. And I had, trust me, I had no idea what that even meant before I started in real estate. But what it is, is that it allows you to to borrow that money and it still accrues interest while you're borrowing it. And then I get to use it and then pay it back with interest. So we've used it a lot to like fund deals or vacations or stuff like that, that I'm going to pay for anyways but I want to be able to get interest on both sides. So I pay myself back with interest and it's accruing interest at the same time. And that's, that's kind of complicated. Maybe Bill, you can explain that a little bit better, but we use it all the time in my business. We use that life insurance policy. We'll fund deals and then the deals will make money and then we'll pay it back with interest. And then that cash value just continues to grow. So yeah. So it's a, it's a whole life well.
0: insurance policy, whole life, whole life insurance. That kind of turned me off in the beginning. I wasn't really interested in that, but when I started yeah. digging in and learning more about it, it's a whole life policy with paid up additions. And so what I'm able to do is I it's, if you ever heard of the becoming your own bank uh, concept, um, R. Nelson Nash talks a lot about it. I started reading books on it. The Rockefellers, um, what, what the rock, what Rockefellers do that book like changed the game for me on this stuff and said, uh, I absolutely need to start doing this. So I started, like, as I started making more money, like starting to make six figures or more per year, I started looking to see what, what are the other wealthy people doing? And this is the concept that kept coming up that not a lot of people talk about. So it just, it just compounds really fast. So for me, I have a policy on myself, my wife, our kids. And like Tyler said, you, you basically take a loan out of your policies. So the way the Rockefellers did it was they just started tacking on life insurance policies on all their family members when they were born. And they created this like huge bank. And so when the kids become 16, they borrow from their policy to buy a car instead of going to the bank to get a car loan. When it's time to go to college, they borrow from their policies to pay for college. And what happens is even if I borrow out, let's say $30,000 to buy a car, my $30,000 is still making interest inside the policy and compounding. And then I am paying interest back to the life insurance company to use my money. But if you think about your bank account, when you pull your bank account money out, it's not earning anything while you're using it. So it's kind of like um, interest arbitrage, a lot like what you see banks do. So I don't want to get into like the legalities of it and all the details. But my recommendation is that you go to that link, that sevenfigureflipping.com slash stress-free. We'll put it in the description of this YouTube video too. And just like Tom, I've got a video on how I use my policy. The coolest thing about mine is I have one of my kids, um, we've set up a policy and you know I, I would Probably caveat this to say um, every policy is going to be a little bit different, depending on the age and um, and health histories and all that stuff of different people, but we were able to put a policy on my son that when he's like thirty years old he's going to have he's going to have a million dollars uh, cash value in the policy, and we only put i think we put like two thousand dollars a year in there for like the first fifteen years, something like that like I, I don't have it right in front of me, so don't quote me on that, but we' st- we're, I'm able to stop paying his policy uh, fees. Uh, after, after like 15 years. So just amazing to see like how fast that stuff starts growing over time. This is a great thing to do if you're a higher net worth, higher income person, six figures. The other thing is there's term conversions. So there's term to whole life conversions if you don't have a lot of capital right now. So when I started like kind of banking a lot of money, I want to put it in my policy instead of putting it in a bank. And like Tyler said, you can take a loan to do anything you want with. The struggle that I was having is I couldn't use my IRA and 401k in my business. I could use this money. So that's how I use it. I fund deals with it. I lend money to other people, do hard money loans with it. Um, and imagine you're doing a hard money loan at like 12%, 15% interest. Um, you're paying back at like five. And then your policy is making a percentage interest on the money that you're lending also. So, I mean, the returns are, it seriously is this infinite banking. Like, like you're it's,
1: double dipping almost. But you are legal. double dipping. It's, it's amazing. <laughs>
0: So when I found that out, like I'm going to be, I'm going to be the Rockefeller, like the John D Rockefeller of my family. So my kids are going to have policies and they're going to be required that that policy can buy other policies down the road. You can borrow money. You can use it for anything you want and you don't have to pay it back at a certain timeline. I'm, I'm very bullish on it, if you can't tell. And anybody who's making like six figures or more, if they don't talk to him, I'm going to be upset because yeah. it really is a, not a very well-known strategy to really grow your net worth. And that's what it's all about, is that financial freedom that we're looking for. So um, yeah, sevenfigureflipping.com.
1: Generational wealth, right, Bill? Like you're, you're passing that just like the Rockefellers, right? You're, you're giving your kids opportunities and what a cool thing. That's what it's all about for me is creating that generational wealth. The, yeah, I mean, you can have a, a bank or something that they can pull from.
0: Yeah, I mean, you say it's all about our family. It's all about the future, this that kind of freedom and stuff like that. Yeah. So these are just all different vehicles to grow that that wealth once you start, you know, seeing some success, right? So um, go to sevenfigureflipping.com slash stress-free. You can talk to Tom. You can check out the videos and stuff like that. So, um, no, okay, right. let's see. Um, I'm going to look for some other questions. Um, okay, and uh, you said at some point, like, uh, everybody said you can't do it. Like you can't do the first seven day flip. Like you can't do it, it's not possible. Jeffrey said it, Letitia said it, everybody but you. So how did that mindset shift change for you? Like what was it that that said, I can do it, I know that I can do it?
1: Yeah, we really, it's just like with goal setting or anything like that, I just broke it down and I said, well, what does it really take? What would it take to flip a house in seven days? If we could get rid of all the variables, it's gonna take manpower. I need guys there that can do the work. And I'm gonna need materials. If I could have materials there and I can have guys to install the materials, then we could get it done. And that was really the simp- simplicity of it. And then we broke it down by day. Okay, well, what would have to happen by day? And then what are the milestones that we'd have to hit every day in order to finish it in seven days? So we took the full rehab, a 30 day rehab, or whatever it would be. we just broke it down and took away all the variables we got we stripped no home depot runs no lunches no anything like that i need guys here that can get stuff done and we just broke it down it was this science project that i said here we're going to remove all the variables here's our hypothesis that we could do it in seven days and we did it and so it was just that belief i always knew we could it didn't seem that difficult to me like i'm like it makes sense what if you can you know, do one in 30. Why couldn't you do it in seven? And so that was really the, the challenge that we wanted to do. You talked about in, in that series as well, that four minute mile, that it really was just a mental barrier that no one had really crossed that running a four minute mile was impossible. You can't do that. Same with a seven day flip. But I was like, I think I can. And this is how, just like Roger Bannister had his guys that would pace him. We kind of did the same thing and said, okay, well, if we could break it down and we could run a quarter of a mile this fast, than what we could get it done in seven days, and so we just looked at the mechanics. And then I also had that paradigm shift and that belief in myself and my team that we could get it done.
0: Yeah, you know, a lot, so there's a couple of people that emailed in and said, "Hey, Roger Bannister didn't run the four-minute mile; he broke the four-minute mile." I said, "I know, I misspoke." Like, I, it, it's funny because I'm watching it back uh, Monday night, going, "Why didn't I say he broke the four-minute mile? I said he ran the four-minute." So. I'm glad that all of you understood, except for a couple of people called <laughs> no, me out. So, um, it, you know, it's it's funny because the interesting thing about Roger Bannister's story is it took so long to break that four-minute mile, and then right after that, somebody beat him. And I don't remember how many days it was, but it wasn't long after that. And so, what's interesting is once you once you set that standard, other people can believe that it's possible. And yeah. so now, like, I really do think that you're like breaking the three-minute mile now, right? So four houses in seven days. So what else is possible? I think. You know, human beings really have this kind of unlimited potential, right? Like relatively unlimited potential. And it's like, what are we going to do with it? Do we really believe that? And so you might say it a lot, but do you believe that you can do just about anything if you really put your mind to it or figure it out. And I love the fact that you guys are kind of revolutionizing this and figuring it out. It's really awesome. So
1: um,
0: then you said uh, in there a little bit about um, speaking at Flip Hacking Live. So we talked about Flip Hacking Live and I saw you speaking there. I thought the coolest part was um you're backstage with like terry and and becca and everybody and uh terry's like got this notebook out and he's like you can see he's like what do you, I, I was back there so i know what he was saying he was like man that was such an awesome presentation i just couldn't stop writing my arm hurts but in the video you can see him doing that it's so cool so what was that like for you you talked about being in the front row the year before and then speaking on stage in front of like 625 people that next year what was that like
1: yeah it was amazing like what an incredible opportunity to be able to speak on something that you love and that you're passionate about. And I think that for me, just speaking at that event was a a huge motivation, a confidence builder, right? That I really, we really did. We haven't done four and seven. That was totally unheard of. Like that wouldn't have ever seemed possible. Doing one in seven days was a feat. And I was like, yeah, this is something cool. And now I'm like, man, one in seven, that's nothing. Like we could do one in three or, you know, we could do four and seven or whatever that looked like. It was just a big confidence builder for me that, yeah, I can do this and what we're doing is really powerful and really impactful. And that's why we wanted to share this story. If this story wasn't meaningful and, and impactful, we wouldn't have done this project or I wouldn't have done this project because we wanna change lives. We wanna benefit people. And I, my first hack, Flip Hacking Live, you saw me, I showed a picture of it. I was sitting on the front row next to Adam and Becca. We were sitting all, all together. And that next year, all three of us were on stage. It's because we took that action and we decided that we were gonna be successful and we had that paradigm shift that I can do this and I believe in myself and I'm gonna break that ceiling. And that's what it was, man. It was just a cool experience to be able to be a participant at Flip Hacking Live and then to be able to speak. And now I'm doing my own TV show, holy cow. Like now my momentum is just continuing to build and that belief is just, we're gonna to continue to push the envelope on it.
0: So does that, does that even fuel you to do more than you were doing before and see more success and go further? Like oh, that, that, those, that like changes things and allows you to keep going?
1: Yeah, and then just talking to people like that saw me at Flip Hacking Live and they, they come up to you and they say, man, I'm so grateful because I didn't think that was, I thought doing a, a flip in six months was great and you're doing it in seven. So I really just helped them break their belief in themselves as well. And even we've had some members and I think we'll talk about that later but we had some members that they're trying to do the same thing and they're trying to recreate these seven day flips. I know, I thought I saw Doug Miller on here. They just did a seven day flip or, or pretty close to that. So that's amazing. Like, it's so cool that people are, are following us and they're running, they're breaking the four minute mile as well. So Flip Hacking Live definitely gave me that opportunity to give back because I felt like I was taking for so long and then I, I got to speak and I got to say, Hey, look, we're doing it. Come with us. And that was just really cool for me. Cool experience. All right, so if
0: you're watching this and you were at Flip Hacking Live last year in the audience writing down notes and you're taking action right now, like drop some stuff in the comments and tell me that you want to speak love. this year because you've done, so, like you're ready to speak. Like you're ready for the tap. Like I'm going to be on stage next year. I love how like last year in October in San Diego when so many people came up to me at the end of the event and was like, I'm going to be up here on stage next year. And that kind of determination and motivation was awesome to see. And that's what I love. The, that event grows every year. We have more and more people that show up which means more and more people that leave that place just ready to take over the world. And it's such a cool community and such a, an incredible event. I can't wait to, to do that this year. This year it's uh, in Orlando, Florida. We moved it from San Diego to Orlando on the East Coast. And it's at a beautiful resort. And uh, October 15th through the 17th. So we mentioned it on the first episode. You can go to fliphackinglive.com and uh, grab a ticket our ticket prices are actually going to go up on june 15th so whether you're a member of our mastermind or not june 15th 2020 you're going to start seeing some emails from us and some notifications from us the prices are going to go up on june 15th and i can't wait to do this event i'm already planning for it i've started planning for this thing seven months in, in advance so i'm putting together the schedule right now the program so if you are ready to speak and that's what you want to do then let me know like drop in the comments here on uh, youtube and let us know uh here on our channel so uh, okay, I've got uh, I've got another question I here. I want to speak, Bill. I want to speak at FlipHacking Live. Put me down. Well, I tell you what. Um, <laughs> after episode ten, when we find out the how you did on this you one, it I'll it not. If you, okay, if your resume is is high enough to, to <laughs> that's be, fair. I tell that's you what.
1: Fair.
0: Let's do it like this. If you guys want Tyler to speak at Flip Hacking Live and give more of the goods away, then make sure you comment in here and vote uh, for him.
1: Yeah, because
0: um, I'm putting it together right. I tell you what, it's. Uh, it's a tough race right now. We've got some serious uh, heavy hitters. guys that
1: are doing crazier things than me, so.
0: Well, we'll see about that. Um, <laughs> so I've got a question from Mela, who just happens yeah. to be um, our nanny, who's also flipping houses. Her and her family awesome. are flipping houses. She was, uh, so cool. at, uh, she's coming to Flip Hacking Live with us and going to hang out with us at Disney with our family the week after. So she cool. said, how did you find the people to do the whole rehab in seven days? Was it your regular team or was it something different about it?
1: Uh, most of it was my regular team. We just kind of stopped everything for a week and put all of our guys on it, but there was some new guys as well. So we just wanted to create that synergy with our, our team and with our guys. So how did we do it as we pitched the vision? We got people to see why this is really cool and why it's impactful and that they can make the same amount of money that they could in a 30 day flip, but we're going to do it in seven days. So we just really created this cool energy and this, this synergy, this, environment that people couldn't resist because we were super competitive and we wanted to make stuff happen. And then we put a competition in there that people were even more motivated that, yeah, I want to see Tyler wear genie pants or I want to do this. And so it was really just creating that culture that people wanted to succeed. That's really what it came down to. It had nothing to do with talent or skill or any of that. It was people that we wanted to bring into our environment and into our circles that could see that vision. We, we really could do this in seven days. And it was tough to create that. We had a couple contractors tell us, no, we don't want to do a seven-day flip. It's not possible. And we're like, we've already done it three times. And you're telling us it's not possible? Yeah, you can't do a flip in seven days. And I'm like, okay, well, we've already done it. And let me teach you how. And let me show you. And let me break it down on how I how we can do this in seven days. So then once they start to, to catch the picture, they could see the vision. Then they wanted to run with us. Then they would have felt left out if they wouldn't have done it. So it was just creating... That team environment that people want to succeed, and you just thrive off of each other. That's how we did it, honestly.
0: Awesome. There's a couple questions about money, so let's let's dive into those a little bit, and maybe we'll. We only have a couple more minutes, um, okay. but maybe we'll cover that in the in episode two a little bit too. But yeah. um, By said, uh, what advice do you have to manage cash flow when flipping multiple properties? Uh, if capital is close to being spent, how would you go about acquiring the next property? So. Um, cash flowing when you got multiple properties going on?
1: That's tough. We still struggle with that a lot, right? It's just because you'll have deals that you think are going to close and they're not. So for us, it's just getting really good lenders. And well, Bill and I, we, we have a, a re- lender that we highly recommend as well, but it's getting good lenders that are on your side and maybe subsidizing that with private money. But we're over borrowing just to make sure we have all of our ancillary costs, utilities, insurance, stuff like that. So we overborrow to make sure that we're having, we have enough money. And then also that we're trying to turn out these properties as quick as we can so we can get our cash back quicker. If you're turning properties every seven days and we're not doing that, but if you could do that, your cash return would come back a lot faster. So we're trying to crank out as many properties as we can, as quick as we can, because we want that cash to come back. And so doing a flip in seven days, it, it reduces your time that your money is out right? So if we can flip it in seven days and sell it in another seven, then our cash is going to come back a lot faster than if it would have taken us to do six months. So efficiency is the answer to that by like, I would say, make sure that your crews are really efficient, that you're getting your money back as quick as you can. And then also having good lenders that you borrow enough money to make sure that you have enough runway to finish the project. So that's what's been really successful for us is that we, we over-borrow a little bit just to make sure that we can cover some of those costs that come up. And then also we're making sure that we're, we're really highly efficient, that we're getting our return on our money as quick as we can. So we have a ton of investors. So get we talk a lot about this in this group about raising private money. Private money is, has been our best friend and we couldn't have done it without raising some capital to be able to help us along the way. So we raise we we don't put any of our money into deals anymore we're to a point that it's 100% financed and we just don't put any money that way i can pay my guys i can pay my salary i can keep marketing i can run my business but the houses themselves are going to they're fully funded and we don't have to worry about cash flow injecting it into any of these properties
0: Awesome. Yeah. And when you said overraise, you're talking about raising like 105% of the deal or 110% of the deal, something like that, like more yeah. than what it's going to take to put in.
1: Yeah. And just making sure that you're, you're not way over-borrowing, right? Because you got to pay that money back and you have to pay interest on it. But enough that you don't have to come out of pocket for utilities and for insurance and for overages and just stuff like that. We want to make sure that we're covered and that it, it can be self-sustaining projects.
0: Yeah, and we're going to talk about this a lot more on the coming episodes. So I know episode two, we talk a lot about the funding and, and the structure. And going forward, we're going to talk about budget and management and stuff like that of the project. So a lot of the questions that you guys are answered asking will be answered in the coming episodes, so make sure that you tune in. These things are going to be out Monday night at 8 o'clock Central Time on YouTube. So you can watch live with us, or you can watch it anytime after they're released. So episode one of 7 Day Flip is already on YouTube right now. You can go to our 7 Figure Flipping channel and check it out if you haven't already watched it. Uh, Jorge, I'm going to answer your question real quick. Um, he's basically asking um, if you're trying to get investors for the first time, but you don't have a deal. He feels kind of like he should have a deal and then raise money instead of the other way around. Because if he gets the money, then he might not have the deal, and he feels like it's a little bit disingenuous. So I, I know that feeling, but I'll tell you, as a flipper, you're looking for deals and money, like that, and and contractors, frankly. So yeah. that's what you should be focused on: is is the management of the project and finding the money. So in the beginning. That's my biggest record. As a wholesaler, like I want to find leads and I buyers. That's where I focus on if I'm starting a wholesaling, wholesaling business. For a flipping business, I, I'm gonna need some crews and projects and I'm gonna need some money. And so when I go out and look for money, I'm just having conversations. Like I would love to just earmark some cash and say, hey, what are you looking to do? And then it's not necessarily like you have to raise all the money before you find the project, or you have to get all these projects before you raise the money. This stuff should be happening simultaneously. And having those conversations because when you get down to the wire, the money becomes more expensive the closer that you get to having to buy the project, right? So you can start having conversations three or six months ahead of the project as you're getting going. It's a lot easier to start building that snowball. I look at it like a snowball rolling down the hill. Right now, people I'll send an email out every quarter and people will say, Hey, I've got another hundred thousand or two hundred thousand or three hundred thousand dollars. Can you use it? And I'm like, yeah, I can use it. So I don't actually don't have to solicit it anymore. Solicit is probably the wrong word. I don't actually have to go out and raise capital. It's almost starting to come to me because I, I built up this network of people who are interested and in this kind of Rolodex. So start building that now. I'd say have the conversations. Don't say I'm ready to use your money today, but you know, it's, it's gotta go simultaneously, hand in hand, raising
1: money and doing deals. What do you think, Tyler? I, I totally agree with you. Same thing. I would do both, and I still spend a lot of my time raising capital. Now we have money that we can't use, right? That we just don't have enough deals that we can do that. And don't that's say that. We're okay. on Facebook
0: be- Live. We're on YouTube. You're talking like you're gonna get hammered. You got more money. I need money. I need money. <laughs> but like raising. I don't yeah. know why raising money is like the thing that we are so scared of. We think is the hardest. Like. You've got to get over that. you just got to get past it. And we're going to talk a lot about that uh, raising money here coming up because hey, that's just another mindset problem. It's just another thing that we have to get past. And once you start raising money, you see some success. Like um, I've got a plan for this, by the way. So the seven-figure flipping community has a plan, and I'll say I'll give myself six weeks. In six weeks, I will have a plan for you of how to get over this mentally for raising money, and I'll have it. I already have a concept that I've sketched out and storyboarded out of exactly how we can help people. Um, for free to go out and raise money so and get over this fear.
1: That's pretty sweet. And I love it now. That's one of my favorite parts of my business is raising capital. I'll never get rid of that because I love doing it. And I didn't at first. It was scary and terrifying and asking people for money is scary. But now I really enjoy it. I get to go out to lunch with investors and I meet people and we talk about it. And, and they say, hey, well, what return are you going to give me? And I'll say, well, what do you need? And I just locked up, up some money today at 8%. No points. Like, that's awesome. And now I got to go find a way to, that I can deploy it, right? And so, but it, it's just so much easier. once. And you just have to take that first step. Start asking people, put it on your Facebook. What are you looking for? Talk about it. And then that, like what you're saying, Bill, money just comes to us now. That We don't have to... Go out and find it anymore, because people see our success and we have that momentum rolling, but you gotta find the deal, but you got to find cash at the same time, so what you're saying is a hundred percent right on all right i'm gonna I'm gonna say we got like a five minute warning
0: I got one more question for you that's came five in, and warning. I want to make sure we talk about it so i'm gonna I'm gonna caveat this with saying this conversation can go really long or it can yeah. go kind of short, so it's you mentioned in there, and somebody pointed it out to me and asked me about it. you said that Nashville trip changed everything for me. What did you mean? Cause you didn't like dive into that. So what did that mean?
1: Yeah, so the Nashville trip, and I'll, I'll give you the short version on it. I was struggling in my business. I didn't know what direction I needed to go and we were having success and we were doing deals and whatever. So Bill and I talked, I think it was in Colorado that you and I talked and we said, hey, why don't you come out? Let's fly in my plane to the next event. And I said, that sounds awesome. So I flew into Nashville. I stayed with Bill and we talked and we just really created this friendship that um, what we have now, like where we can joke and kid with each other. But that that wasn't there before. It was it really happened in Nashville that I needed someone to kind of bounce my ideas off. and, And Bill, I don't think you answered any of my questions when I would ask you. I think your answer was always. Well, what do you think? What do you think, Tyler? And I already knew the answer. I just needed someone to help me walk through it. And that's really what it was. That that trip to Nashville was, well, what do I think? And what do I want my business to look like? And do I have permission? And, and am, am I good enough? And that's what I, we learned, right? We did a lot of fun stuff. We saw the Titan Stadium and the Music Hall of Fame. And we rode scooters and ate amazing Chinese food. And we just had a lot of fun. And we connected in a, outside of a, a professional setting. That was really important to me I, I felt like I needed someone in my corner and that's the best part about having a mentor and someone that you care about and that you trust and having that friend along in the journey is that they like Bill you put your arm around me and said hey you can do this right you could flip a house in seven days and I hadn't done a flip I don't think uh, on that trip we hadn't done one in seven days maybe maybe we had but no, I don't think we did. So you kind of, you gave me that potential and that opportunity. So the Nashville trip was just spending a week with Bill Allen and being able to just hang out and then have him put the mirror in my face and ask me, what do you want? And do you want it bad enough? And are you willing to sacrifice for it? And are you going to go out and get that dream of flipping a house in seven days? And it was really game changing to me because my business has just grown ever since. And I had someone that I could trust and that I could lean on and say, hey, I need a little bit of a confidence boost. Can you help me? Can we really do four? I I remember I called you before we did four and seven. And I was like, can we do this? Like, is this like, do you really think this can be done? And you just said, yeah, man, you totally, easy, piece of cake, you got this. And that was just having that and having that confidence and having that person in your corner really made a huge difference. So that was the Nashville trip, the short version.
0: Yeah, I'll give you my quick, uh, like what I saw, you were looking for something (laughs) like you were in a search for some like secret uh, answer, right? And Mm -hmm. I hate to downplay kind of like what I did or what we did, but um, and you left out the edible cookie dough. So that was uh, a (laughs) great edible cookie dough, which was my favorite part of the trip. And, um, you know, you came there with like a sheet of questions and this idea of how you wanted to start marketing and, and do more wholesaling. And so what we did was just kind of, I was like asking why, like, why do you want to do that? What does that tell me more about your business? And I said, wow, you know, what you, what you're doing and what you have sounds really good. I kind of want that too, but I'm enjoying what I'm doing. And I feel like I'm really good at it and I'm set up for it. Are you set up for that? Do you want to build out a phone team? Do you want to build out a sales team? Do you want to do all that stuff? Or do you like flipping houses? Like, wh- what do you want to do? Cause you kind of wanted, like you wanted your cake. You wanted to eat it too. You wanted a little bit of everything. And I've been there. I had been a deal junkie and tried to do a lot of things. And I realized like, we weren't as good at flipping houses as you are, but we're a lot better at wholesaling than other people are. So we kind of moved over in that direction. So and that's how our team was set up and designed to do and all of our systems and processes. And what I found, I really like the velocity of things moving really fast. So, you know, I just kind of like you said, held up the mirror. And I, I, you're, I agree, I didn't really answer any of your questions. And if if my staff comes to me, I say the same thing, like, what do you think we should do? What should we do? Like, if I gave you all the answers, like, what are you going to do next time? You're going to come back and ask me the same questions, you know, and I'm going to give you the same answers. So um, I think a lot of it is just the fact that we already know what we need to do. We just need a little bit of reassurance, you know. That's it. So uh, Frank, glad that I gave that to you. I I didn't know that it was as um, as big of a deal as as now I see. Which was really cool to see the footage from this um, to know how important it was to you, and then also. Um we got to fly at a thousand feet next to the Statue of Liberty up the Hudson River on the way to Boston, which was one of the most it was hands down the best flight of my life, I think, so it was awesome. so it was a little bit hot it was a it was a like a a balmy July at a thousand feet in, the, in an airplane that has no uh, air conditioning, but it was worth it it was awesome. I had such a good time, and uh, we had a great mastermind meeting in July uh, there in Boston, and then uh, was able to come home so
1: uh, okay, uh you got any rapid yeah. rapid fire questions? You want the 10 second answer? You got anything uh, left? We answer cookie everything? dough,
0: you can eat, not an actual edible, right?
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: not an edible. It was actual cookie dough. Um, yeah. <laughs> Good question Not an edible. We what, ate cookie dough. Yeah, you got a couple of squares here, I think. Um, no, I I gotta go. I gotta go pick up my okay. son or I would stay longer. We'd do rapid fire. I'd say, look, guys. We've got these episodes coming out on Monday night. Thank you so much. Like the, the response has been amazing. This was for Tyler and his crew and his family. And just the response that I've seen has been absolutely amazing. The feedback that we've gotten has been amazing. Um, I made the videographer cry during episode two. So make sure you watch episode two. We dropped a spoiler for episode two in this, uh, in this video. I didn't realize it. I'm already on episode three in my mind. And I thought you already heard about something. So we dropped a spoiler in here that hopefully you guys didn't pick up on, but you'll see that in episode two. Um In episode two, we get to bring in a couple of the members, a couple of the seven-figure members that are changing their mindset and stuff. So we get to talk to them and we get to see kind of the, the build-up towards um, that first day of uh, the first uh, four days uh, or four houses in seven days. So episode two is going to be live on Monday. Uh, I don't know what date that is. June 1st, I think. June 1st at 8 p.m. Central on YouTube. And then every week we're gonna do something like this where we'll do Q&A. The more questions that we get from you guys, people are emailing us. Um, get on our email list, sevenfigureflipping.com and you can subscribe on the top right. There's this button that says subscribe. Subscribe to our list. Um, and you can go to fliphackinglive.com and grab your uh, tickets to our event in October. The ticket prices are gonna go up on the 15th of June. Make sure you do that and then subscribe to our YouTube channel. So you can see all of this stuff. We're gonna be putting some content like this on there. We'll drop this video on there. Um, and then I plan to go live on YouTube when the connection between Zoom and YouTube works next week. Um, all day it's been down. I've been trying to play with it. So uh, thanks so much for hanging out with us. Uh, make sure that you give big shout outs to Tyler and his crew and his team and his wife for all the amazing thing that they're doing. And Andre, my videographer on our staff, and William, his assistant, just absolutely amazing stuff. So thank you guys so much. I'm having so much fun doing this. Um, this series is awesome. I can't wait to uh, roll out more episodes for you guys. And uh, anything I leave out,
1: Tyler? No, thank you guys very much. Share this video. Like it's really the, the, what that you don't see on HGTV. This is real house flipping. And so please share it. It'll show a great light on what we do and what we're trying to do. And hopefully it gives you some education and that you can learn from us as well. So thank you for participating. Thank you for watching. Thank you for subscribing like you guys are amazing. Super appreciative of you, Bill. Thanks for your time. I'm excited to do this every week. It'll be fun.
0: Yep, me too. Hey everybody, this is Bill again and I want to invite you to our biggest event of the year called Flip Hacking Live. So if you haven't heard about it, Flip Hacking Live is the top live event that we put together for house flippers and wholesalers and really any real estate investor in the world, period. It is an amazing event, We have three days. This year it's gonna be down in Orlando where we share all the secrets, all the strategies, all the tips. We put people on stage that are doing a million dollars or more in their business and they share the goods. I don't let them come on that stage unless they're gonna share everything. You should be able to come to that event and every presentation be able to leave that event and implement it word for word in your business, exactly how they do. So absolutely amazing event. If you've never been, you have to come. It's October 15th through the 17th in Orlando, Florida. You can get your tickets at fliphackinglive.com. Don't wait. The prices go up every couple months until we get close. We've sold out every single year and it's just gonna be an absolutely amazing event this year. So I really hope that you guys join us. I hope that you come down to Orlando, spend some time with us, get to know all the seven figure flipping members, all the mastermind members, all the people in our community. And it's a place that we can all come together and share our systems, our tips, our strategies and network to be able to do more and be more than we are right now. So, um, go check it out October 15th through the 17th in Orlando, Florida this year. It's the first year that we've gone from San Diego over to Orlando. I can't wait. It's going to be an absolutely amazing event. flippackinglive.com Check it out. I will see you all there.